And I think really what we need during this time are our leaders who are more self-aware than they ever have needed to be in the past, leaders who are brave and who are willing to stand up and actually do things and act in ways that perhaps they never have before or might actually be uncomfortable for them because it's not part of their nature and who are authentic and honest so that as they go through the process of trying to lead during these challenging times, people can feel their intent. And at the same time, you know, if things don't come out perfect, they're able to make a mistake or be corrected, be educated, and they're open to it. And they're willing to have that experience and learn from it. Hello and welcome to another episode of Learning Rewired, where leaders are challenged to rethink what, how and why they and their organizations learn. Learning Rewired is a collection of interviews and conversations with leading minds and progressive thinkers in the multiple domains influencing personal and organizational transformation. Learning Rewired is proudly presented by Headspring as a free contribution to fostering cultures of continuous learning. I'm your host, Bevan Rees. My guest today is Victor Nieves, partner in EY Capital Markets, where for more than 10 years, Victor has been involved in and leading diversity and inclusion initiatives with a major influence on efforts surrounding sexual orientation, gender, and ethnicity. Victor has been a leading figure in the LGBTQ community and is a former chair of EY's LGBTA network. Victor, good morning and welcome. Good morning. Thank you, Bevan. Happy to be with you today. Yeah, and I'm very happy to have you on the call. So, Victor, we, we've chatted a bit offline already about where we find ourselves in the world today. And I suppose the, the context and the motivation for this particular conversation right now, you have to have been hiding under a rock, really, to have missed these incredible surges of social cause that have been happening around the world, partly fomented by the lockdowns and the intensity of COVID, but then accelerated by Black Lives Matter. And I want to take perhaps a broad view of the context of where we are as a society and these kind of issues. But what I'd really like to hone in to begin with is how this places us in conversations around the LGBTQ plus community and the movement. And I was wondering if you could get us going with perhaps a historical reference of where we've come from where we are today and what this means for organizations and the leaders and organizations that need to develop people and develop the culture of an organization in a productive, functional and sustainable way. Yeah, absolutely. And clearly there is certainly a lot there, but I think the word that you described it with intensity is really a good way to look at it. I mean, ultimately, as it relates specifically to looking at LGBTQ plus and and where we've been and where we've headed, there is certainly a lot of history. And we have absolutely come a long way from both a personal and political perspective and, and recognition of LGBTQ plus rights and equal marriage and all the like, as well as in our workplaces in ensuring that our people are both protected uh, in their work and workplaces, as well as supported in their personal and professional development. Now, that being said, I also think if you look around, we see still a significant number of challenges, um, even 
in the last couple of months with things like the Gender Recognition Act reform conversations that have been going on, our transgender community certainly being impacted and under attack regularly. I think also we see challenges still, conversations around things like gay conversion therapy and whether or not that's something that should be legal uh, or illegal and, and how that impacts our people. So whilst we do see a lot of progress and organizations especially are working to support our LGBTQ plus people, we also see that there are regular challenges that we are facing. And it's a really complex and complicated issue to unpick. But that being said, the fact that it's complex doesn't mean that we as leaders shouldn't be trying to actively do something about it. And I think in the wake of everything that we have seen in the U.S. with Black Lives Matter and what we are seeing now with what's being revealed under the impact of COVID-19, it really is making it important for us to focus on where all these things intersect. So thank you. I mean, great introduction, Victor. And I'd like to just pick up where you left off there about where these different kind of movements and effects intersect. So there's a couple of things there. One is, I'd love you to talk me through what that means in terms of this, of this intersectionality, but also what this reflects about the complexity of societies and workplaces now and what needs to be considered when making decisions in moving organizations forward. You know, that point on intersectionality is, is really about recognizing the fact that each of us as individuals has different elements to who we are and different aspects of our individual self. And in many cases for LGBTQ plus people, that involves a number of things. It involves gender. It will involve their race or ethnicity. It will involve their socioeconomic background and their upbringing, who they are and where they come from. And it's recognizing that as organizations, we really need to consider that intersectionality when we are trying to lead and develop our people and support them in their development. So that kind of hits on the intersectionality piece and really why, uh, what it is, and then why it's important. So Victor, I mean, from uh, an individual's point of view, there's a lot to navigate here, isn't there? Absolutely. You perhaps share some perspective on what you see in the way that people are trying to engage with this. Have you got some personal uh, reference on how people are doing well and engaging with this and how people are struggling? I mean, I think that point on complexity, it is complex and there are a lot of different facets. And one of the challenges that sometimes people face is attempting to solve complex problems with even more complex solutions. So really important is identifying ways to keep it simple when individuals are trying to address the issues of intersectionality. And I think one of the things that I have seen and experienced at EY is we're really looking at this focus on inclusiveness of all individuals and the idea of belonging. Because if a person actually feels that they belong 
at work, that they are listened to, respected, heard, that they can contribute in a positive way. And perhaps when they feel uncertain about contributing or uncomfortable contributing for whatever reason that might be, perhaps cultural background or personal experiences in their own lives, that they're encouraged to do so. So thinking about what it is that organizations should do, it's really about leadership. I think when we talked a little before, there was this question of what type of leadership is required during this time. Is it some form of sophisticated leadership or something more that we need to deal with this complexity? And I think really what we need during this time are are leaders who are more self-aware than they ever have needed to be in the past, leaders who are brave and who are willing to stand up and actually do things and act in ways that perhaps they never have before or might actually be uncomfortable for them because it's not part of their nature and who are authentic and honest so that as they go through the process of trying to lead during these challenging times, people can feel their intent And at the same time, you know, if things don't come out perfect, they're able to make a mistake or be corrected, be educated, and they're open to it. And they're willing to have that experience and learn from it. So, so Victor, just to kind of step back a bit from what you said, there's this beautiful bridge between not trying to overthink this and overdo this, not trying to be too sophisticated because of the complexity of the situation, try to develop a complex solution. And you're saying it comes down to, in the essence, these fundamentals of good leadership, courage, authenticity, you know, the willingness to make mistakes and stand up, sincerity and self-awareness. Leaders who are engaged, who are willing to be open to the experience of what's going on, willing to make mistakes. These are really difficult things to do. Have you seen people struggling to maintain that kind of those core disciplines of self-awareness, authenticity and humility and courage? They are not easy to do, especially if, let's be frank, don't come easy to a person. They don't, they, these things don't necessarily come easy to everyone, sometimes require a little bit of work and practice. At EY, we've been going and very focused. We're a people business because as professional services firm, the most important thing we have is our people. And therefore, the focus on diversity and inclusion and and making sure that our people can perform at their best is really important. And we've been doing it for a long time. I've been with EY for almost two decades and have been involved in what we've done on diversity and inclusiveness for the majority of that time, starting with a focus on ethnicity, because when I joined EY, I actually was not out in the workplace or at home, and then eventually moving into focusing on the LGBTQ plus work that we're doing initially as an ally before I was prepared to come out in some cases in some parts to myself, and then as an out professional. And what I've seen is that we have taken a number of strides and done some great things. And I think we acknowledge that there's still more to do. You're always almost in a learning mode. And at the point at which you continue to open up the organization and do more, you find that people are more willing to speak up. And so they tell you the things that perhaps you could still keep doing better because you've created an environment where 
uh, people are willing to speak up and, and say more and share their own views. So for other organizations, I think it really is, and what it has been for us is a mix of top-down, ensuring that the tone of the leaders within the organization is one that encourages diversity, inclusion, and belonging, but also bottom-up and making sure that you provide space and opportunity for those people who have lived experiences to share those experiences with you and with others, and then help to contribute to the change that as an organization you're trying to bring about. Mm. You know, there's this mix of leadership as well as culture and environment of safety where people feel that they can be their full selves at work. Absolutely. I mean, I'll use my personal example. When I joined EY, I joined EY right out of college or university as an intern. And I joined EY having grown up in a city in the U.S., which was one of the most dangerous cities in the U.S., Camden, New Jersey, for any of your listeners who may have heard of it or might want to look it up. And I was the first in my family to go to college. And so the first to graduate from university, go into EY. And, you know, for me, this was a really huge deal. And on top of that, I knew that I was gay. I had known that I was gay at a young age, but was entering EY at a point in my life where I was actually struggling with my sexuality and how to to come out and whether or not to come out. In that process, I ended up actually turning to religion and joining the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as a way to kind of push back on this homosexuality thing and say, okay, you know what, I can move on, I can live a life without it. Spent two years on a, a mission in the U.S. with the church. Left EY, they, you know, they were willing to support me in taking a two-year leave of absence to do that. But then I came back and two things. One, felt completely unfulfilled. And two, also realized that who I was was not going to change simply because of these experiences that I had had and kind of trying to push that out of myself. What I found at EY was a place where I actually felt like I could find other people like me who were experiencing similar challenges, but were actually succeeding and being able to bring themselves to work. As a result of that, I came out at work to my colleagues and coworkers, and then shortly thereafter, about a year later, finally made the decision to come out to my family. So you can see, for me anyway, the importance that the organization and the workplace actually had on my entire life. And, mm-hmm. and being able to, as a 28-year-old man at the time, finally come out to my family and then be out at work just put me on a trajectory that allowed me actually to succeed in my career and to be able to achieve what I have today, having recently been admitted to the partnership at EY. It's just fantastic to know that I had that support around me. And that all comes from having policies in place, but also having a culture in place that allows people to feel like they can be themselves at work. It's a really powerful story. And the sense that someone could begin this step into public declaration of who they are as a real person at work 
I don't often hear these stories, and it's a really powerful story. I want to tap a little bit more into that in a second, but first I just want to ask you, EY is a mature organization, and from what I understand from the way you're speaking, these initiatives that you've been running have some time behind them. They've been running for quite a few years and developed quite a lot. Do you feel that there's always more to do, or this will always be an ongoing process? Do organizations reach a sort of a tipping point beyond which you've established a culture where this becomes easier? But more comfortable, more familiar, where the organization just operates in a way where people feel consistently able to be themselves on a regular basis? I think absolutely it is always a constant journey. So our LGBT plus network unity at EY just celebrated its 25-year anniversary this year. And we still find that there is so much more to do because you're constantly trying to address the current challenges that individuals face in society. And you're also trying to increase your pace of change. So for us right now, we have a focus on ensuring that our partnership reflects the makeup of our firm because we have diverse recruitment, but that diverse recruitment at the graduate levels of people joining the firm doesn't necessarily follow through to the partnership for various reasons. But when you see that you can have a diverse population of people coming into the firm, but you don't have that same level of diversity in the partnership, then you need to do something. There's clearly something wrong that we're working on focusing on at the moment. Now, that being said, I also think that any organization, if you are in a growth mode and everyone is trying to grow their businesses and expand and excel, that means a few things. One, it means that you're likely bringing new people into the organization in order to help achieve that. So both at the graduate levels and at the experience levels. Those people are coming from different backgrounds, different cultures, different organizations that don't necessarily reflect the way that you operate. So you have to ensure that you're constantly working on reinforcing that messaging. And also, you're sometimes losing people because you know various people have their own different career goals. And so if they feel they've achieved what it is that they need to or want to, then they'll move on and go on for that next career experience or that next stage, if you will, which means sometimes you are losing some of the people who've been championing some of this within the organization as well. So personally, and and I've seen it, I think it is a constant effort that we have to make. The journey is almost never complete. And I think we're far ways from it in the world if we just look around us. Mm -hmm. You've shared your, your coming out story from work and also personally in your family. In that story, I hear those qualities that you've been speaking about, courage, about authenticity, about the self-awareness that even gets you to that point. Is there a mirror? By that, I mean organizations publicly declaring themselves to be in alignment with support for their LGBTQ plus employees. Because in social media, especially during Black Lives Matter, we saw many, many companies suddenly start posting on LinkedIn and et cetera. You know, we stand for this, we declare this. And there was a lot of criticism from some quarters of those companies just making a statement without following it up with real on-the-ground work. So the idea that if you actually went to those companies and kind of dug beneath the veneer, they weren't walking the walk and they weren't talking the talk. So as a company, how do you 
How do you navigate that? How do you stay true? Where do you start, I suppose, is the question. Yeah, so if I take the first piece on on where to start for organizations, I think first everyone should look to start on a basis of knowledge and understanding and fact versus assumption. So it's really important that if you haven't already taken the temperature of your organization and haven't already understood the needs of the people, whether that be via staff survey or actual focus groups or discussions with employee networks, if you have them, which if you don't, they actually do serve a huge purpose within an organization. Make sure that you understand the temperature of the people who you are actually trying to support. Because if you start with a fact base, that's not correct. If you start using assumptions and applying them based on other organizations' experience or perhaps experience you brought from another organization, then you're not actually working towards what your organization needs. I appreciate that diversity and inclusion has a solid base and foundation, but at the same time, you know, not everything is one size fits all for an organization. So that's really important. The other thing I think is don't be afraid to ask for help. One of the things that I've experienced at EY is that we, as a a unity network, one of the things that we did do when I was one of the chairs was mentoring of other organizations, not just of individuals. So look for people either within your sector or organizations that you work with or admire, if you will, and ask for help. Look for some of that mentoring or support because oftentimes it helps you navigate some of the challenges you're facing and you can learn from those experiences. I think those two things are absolutely crucial for anyone just starting in the area. And in terms of whether or not kind of there is a a mirror, what you say is absolutely spot on. For starters, any organization innately knows when they're putting themselves out there as someone who is a supporter of Black Lives Matter or LGBTQ plus pride, and they're not actually doing the work to make that stand. So be honest with yourselves. But then beyond that, if you are putting yourself out there, I think it's just making sure that the people who work for you actually see your words in action. In this age of social media, people are not afraid to speak up and speak out. And you can see the tweets, for example, all over people sharing what it is that they know about their organization or other organizations who are putting themselves out there as someone who supports these initiatives, but in reality, doesn't actually do anything towards them. This is not about a sponsorship play or about a money play. This is about a people thing. And one other thought, actually, just going back to where to start for organizations. We talked a little bit before about how sometimes organizations or individuals in an organization try to 
support people who are LGBTQ plus and maybe having a challenge, may have experienced some form of homophobia at work or something else that, you know, they have heard a slur or whatever it might be. And sometimes leaders try and approach the situation saying, you know, I don't even know why we're ha- we need to have this conversation. I get it. I don't see you as gay or lesbian or black or transgender. You know, I see you for who you are as a human. And there could not be any worse thing to actually say to an individual because ultimately what that is doing is that is erasing their difference. You know, my personal experience as a Latinx Puerto Rican man who is gay and out at work is different than someone else's. And for someone to say to me, well, I just see you for who you are. I just see you as a person, you know, that erases anything that I've ever experienced. And it certainly doesn't make it that I've not experienced. It doesn't change the situation. So my third point on that is just ensuring that whatever you do, do not attempt to erase the difference that a person has in their life or the experiences that they have as a result of it. The, The words, we sometimes can understand the intent, but it doesn't, it doesn't do what you think it's doing. Mm-hmm. I've had quite a few conversations with people at this specific point over the last few months. And that question of intent, I think you're absolutely right. One can to a certain degree understand the intent, uh, which is you know, often to say we're all equal. We're all the same. We're all humans. You know, that, and that's all that matters. But in this particular situation, you're not having the conversation in the first place. The reason you're having the conversation in the first place is because something else matters too. And that's a sense of personal identity. That's what you're actually engaging with as someone who's struggling with their identity not being acknowledged and not being recognized. And I think that's often a shock to people who say that because it's quite a common thing to hear that, uh, you know, I just haven't seen you for any of the other stuff. It's also easier to say that, in my opinion. And, and I don't mean this as a judgment. I think it's something for people personally to perhaps focus on because it's easier to go, we're not different because difference is difficult to deal with. Mm-hmm. Do you think that this has created a culture of people of fear in the sense where people are too afraid to say the wrong thing, call someone the wrong thing, speak to someone in the wrong way? So then they just rather avoid the whole process altogether and maybe fall back on safety statements like we're all the same, we're all human, we're all in this together, all lives matter, etc. Yeah, um, I, I mean, absolutely. I think it is too easy to default to that position. Absolutely. So. What I've suggested and what I've seen others suggest is to, one, start from a place of curiosity and therefore first ask what you are unsure about and you don't know. So, for example, as it relates to gender identity, more and more now as allies, we encourage people to, one, speak more gender neutral, but also Don't be afraid if you're unsure to actually ask a person what pronouns they prefer rather than assuming. And if you're unsure about language to use, you know, asking an individual. Now, the challenge with that, of course, is I've been involved in in DNI for ages, and that's been by choice. We have leaders of our employee networks who do a number of things, and they do those things by choice. It doesn't mean that everyone, every individual volunteers to be the sounding board or 
the source of education for every other person who needs it. So I think we all need to understand that if we do attempt to ask those questions or have that conversation, it is every person's right to say, you know, I'd prefer not to talk about that. And that should not put you or me or anyone else off from actually asking again a different time to a different person. It really becomes about, you know, none of us are, I suppose, I think the term is wilting flowers or or whatever it is. I, I think we need to, as individuals who are going on this journey and leading our organization, have to have a little bit of a thick skin ourselves to say, you know, when we get it wrong, accept that we've gotten it wrong and let that person tell us and we take that and we move on. We can't just avoid the conversation or avoid asking the question simply because we're afraid of what we're going to hear on the other end. Um, This is hard, especially when we talk right now about Black Lives Matters and anti-racism. You know, the idea that it's not good enough just to not be racist anymore is absolutely true. But is it also equally difficult to actively be anti-racist? Yes, we actually do have to to work at that. And that's not an easy thing. So there's just something about, like we do as children growing up, learning when we fall over, when we're riding that bicycle, getting back on it, you know, dusting off our knees and continuing going, because otherwise you won't ever actually learn. Yeah. Thank you, Victor. And I mean, just one last question for the the listeners to this podcast who are already involved in, already have the intent and already have the action involved of helping their organizations evolve and move forward constructively in the space, but especially specifically focusing on their employees and their staff who are part of members of the LGBTQ plus community. What recommendations do you have or what suggestions of pitfalls do you have to watch out for? Anything specific that you could suggest in terms of next steps as organizations grow and evolve in this? One common pitfall, I I mentioned networks earlier and how important employee networks are and how organizations activate the base, if you will, in their bottom-up approach to diversity and inclusiveness. One of the common pitfalls is that organizations rely on employees and their employee networks to do the heavy lifting. And many times these individuals are doing this off the sides of their desk while they do a full-time plus job in their, their normal day job. So a huge pitfall is not actively recognizing and rewarding the employees who are helping you to lead and shape your strategy because those people, they will burn out, number one. Number two, if they don't feel recognized and rewarded, they'll move on as well. So you'll lose some of the best talent that you have in doing this. I think that's the biggest pitfall that I have seen is ignoring the fact that essentially you're kind of By doing that, you're sort of milking talent to get what it is that you need without actually giving them something back in return. Fantastic. Victor Nieves, thank you very much for your time and powerful insights. You are very welcome, Bevan. Thank you. Thank you. Keep well. Thank you for listening. For more on our guests and the resources described in this podcast, please refer to the information section of your podcast player. If you enjoy this show, please subscribe to receive updates and latest episodes of Learning Rewired. Brought to you by Headspring.